Hey, this is Ryan Tucker, and welcome to the weekly sermon with Pastor Stephen Kyle at Highland Park Baptist Church in Panama City, Florida. This week, we look at Romans chapter 5, verses 3 through 4, and the title is, Are You Struggling? Romans chapter 5, and I'm going to do something that very seldom do I do. We're going to go back. I know two weeks ago, we covered verses 1 through 5. But I want to go back and look at verses 3 and 4, because as my pastor growing up used to say, there's more meat on that bone. And uh, and I just just didn't feel like we dealt with it uh, maybe as in-depth as we could. There are some of you this morning that are truly dealing with difficulties. And it's not about somebody making fun of you and you not being able to say, anything. You're going through some hard times. You're suffering. Maybe you've even been willing to throw up your hands and say, I just don't know. I mean, maybe while we were singing the song this morning, you've moved mountains in the past, God, and I believe you'll do it again. Maybe emotions flooded over you because you're like, I'm singing it, but I just don't know. And so today we're going to pick that up in verses three and four. And we're actually going to be going all over uh, the Pauline epistles, the letters that Paul wrote to the churches. So uh, have your Bible flipping finger ready. Uh, The good news, it'll be on the screens, but we're going to talk about suffering. Suffering, okay? And and listen, we're not going to focus on uh, where does suffering come from. But instead, how do we as followers of Jesus Christ, how are we to respond, what are we to do in suffering? Okay, look there with me. Actually, before I read the scripture, let me share this with you. I, I ran across this, uh, you know, in study. Um, and this is from a 20th century clinical psychiatrist. He, he's passed, but his name is Dr. Carl Menninger. And in all of his studies, he came up with a list of some of the things that we experience which cause us the most anguish. Okay? And he lists them in order of the most anguishing. Number one, the death of a spouse. Number two, the death of a child. Number three, the death of a parent. Number four, divorce, which is the death of a marriage. Number five, receiving a bad health report. Uh, Number six, losing a job. Uh, Number seven, being arrested or having someone in your family arrested. Number eight, the death of a sibling. Number nine, the death of a grandparent. Number 10, an estranged family member, meaning a family member that you can no longer even have a conversation with. I've had folks that have told me before, hey, pastor, we're going through a really, really hard and difficult time because we're having to look at putting our parents in a long-term facility to care for them. And we're just burdened over it. I've had others tell me that they're heartbroken because they've had an adult grown child that has gotten divorced and as a result of that divorce, they no longer have access to the grandchild that is so precious to them. I'm just saying we could spend all our time listing the pains and the sufferings and the tribulations that we we face as a part of living this life, but they come in all shapes and all sizes. I think the only thing that we can agree on today is we all will face suffering. It's a part of living this life. 
pain and disappointment and tribulation. You're like, boy, today's going to be a Debbie Downer, isn't it? No, hang with me. Hang with me. I love the scripture. He always ends on a high note. But let's look there. Romans 5, verses 3 and 4. And understand, we're all in this boat of suffering together. But pastor, I watched a guy last night that said, if I had enough faith, I wouldn't suffer. Change the channel. Verse 3. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations. Knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. And perseverance, character. And character, hope. So here's my hope for you today. My hope is, as we kind of look at these two verses, and we'll do that at the end of the message, but as we walk all around these different letters that Paul wrote to churches that were suffering, and I would have to say, if there's anybody who knew anything about suffering, it'd be Paul. I pray that you'll be encouraged. And that you can say, you know what, God? Indeed, great is your faithfulness. I trust in you. Uh, I hope you don't respond the way that one woman responded after her pastor preached on suffering. He was standing at the door and everybody was filing out and she stopped and she said, oh preacher, oh preacher, I never knew what suffering was until I heard you preach this morning. That's not the goal, right? The goal is let's know that God is good and God is glorious even in suffering. The first thing I want to talk about are the reasons for suffering. What are God's reasons for suffering? I would say the first reason is this. It requires us to rely on God. You see, guys, when, when you're not going through any kind of struggle, when we're happy and when we're free and, and everything is okay, a lot of those times we don't find ourselves relying, depending only on God. No, I would have to say it's right the opposite. When we find ourselves going through a struggle, we find ourselves in a desperate experience, that's when we realize that ultimately, when it's all peeled away, the only one that we can rely upon, the only one that we can truly depend upon, the only one that we can trust in every breath is God and God himself. And then the well-meaning Christian comes along and here's what they say. Well, you know what the Bible says. God will not put more on you than you can bear. And if you've been around here for any amount of time, you know the Bible does not say that. And by the way, if you can come and you can show me chapter and verse where it says that God will not place more on you than you can bear, stake dinner on me. I'm not worried. Because it doesn't say that. What happens is a lot of folks, they misinterpret and they misquote 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, where Jesus is basically saying this. He is saying, hey, listen, there will be no amount of temptation that will seize you, that will come into your life, that God has not given you the ability to withstand. In a nutshell, here's what that means. There'll never be a time where you will sit there and say, you know what, uh, the reason why I I gave in to this temptation is because God didn't give me enough power, enough strength, and enough courage through the Holy Spirit to withstand that you can never blame sin on God. And so people misquote it. 
And they say, oh, God will never place more on you than you can bear. No, friend, we're talking about temptation. Uh, We're not talking about adversity. We're not talking about problems. We're not talking about trouble. The truth is that sometimes living this life, regardless of where you are in your spiritual walk, living this life, uh, we have to deal with so much, and there's so much on us that we can't bear it alone. And it's that suffering, it's that pain, that tribulation, that disappointment that's a part of life. It drives us to rely on God. 2 Corinthians 1, verses 8 and 9. Look at the screens. Listen to what he says in 2 Corinthians 1, verses 8 and 9. He says, we do not want you to be uninformed. That means we don't want you to be ignorant, brethren about the hardships that we have suffered in the province of Asia. Again, this is Paul. He says, we were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure. Uh Uh-oh. Well, what happened to God won't put more on you than you can bear? Because Paul's just said, when we were in Asia, there was more that came on us than we had the ability to bear. And 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 then... Listen to what he says. So that we despaired even of life. Indeed, in our hearts, we felt the symptoms of death. Well, why in the world would that happen? Continue reading. But this happened that we might not rely on our... Oh, no. This happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He says suffering came into our life These are guys that are out proclaiming the good news of Jesus. They've left everything. And they were dealing with pain. And they were dealing with isolation. And they were dealing with loneliness. And they were dealing with suffering and tribulation. And Paul says, I'm telling you, it was so heavy. It was so hard. We couldn't bear it ourselves. It was to the point to where we're like, oh, God, just go ahead and take us now. We thought, you know, the only relief we would have is if we died. And he said, yet God allowed it to happen so we wouldn't put our trust in ourselves but upon him. The very one who raises the dead. I'm just saying, guys, that sometimes when things are going great, sometimes when there are no problems, no suffering, those times we don't even really think about God. It's in those times that we sit there and we're like, man, aren't things wonderful? Look at how good we've got it. Things are just great. In the early 1900s, there was a committed Christian in China by the name of Watchman Nee. If you get a chance, look him up. His story is amazing. Watchman Nee spent the last 20 years of his life in prison because of his faith. I want you to listen to what he wrote. He said, God's great purpose is to reduce us. This is because any confidence in one's own flesh is fatal to confidence and faith in God. God must bring a person to the end of himself before God can release his mighty power. So as long as we're cruising along, right? As long as everything is under control, as long as we find uh, the things in life that we're dealing with, things that we can handle, we tend to not depend upon God. We tend to depend upon what? Upon ourselves. He says here, upon our own flesh. 
And so one of the reasons that God allows suffering in the life of someone who is a follower of Jesus Christ is so that we will totally rely upon him. Now notice, I didn't say God causes suffering. God allows suffering. I don't believe God does cause suffering. I don't believe God causes sin. I don't believe God causes pain. Now, friend, understand the suffering and the pain and the tribulation that we deal with in this world are a direct result of the curse of sin. That God created the world and the world was perfect, right? Adam and Eve, everything was just perfect and it was just fine. There was no suffering, no pain. There was no sin. And yet all of a sudden man chose sin and then it unleashed all this pain and turmoil and difficulty and suffering. And we continue to live today in the fallout of sin. Now, the good news is this. There's no curse of sin in heaven. And one day, the very thing that God made right, perfect, the earth, he's going to come back and he's going to fix what sin messed up. See, friend, listen to me. The Bible even says this. The Bible says that the very earth itself, we're talking about creation, right? Creation itself, and we'll get to it a little bit later in Romans, it is groaning because it realizes this world's not right. This world is not what God created. This world is not what God has intended. Sin has messed it up. And that's the reason why I'll stand there when folks say, I just don't understand why it was God's will that this would happen. I don't understand why it was God's will that my loved one would die. Friend, it's not God's will. God's will is there'd be no sin in the world. God's will is we'd never even know what death was. God's will is this whole world wouldn't be groaning because of what sin has done to her. You say, well, I thought everything that happened in this world is God's will. Are you kidding me? If everything that happened in the world is the very will of God, then why in the world would Jesus in the model prayer teach us to pray, oh God, may your will be done on earth as it is done in heaven. If everything that automatically happens is God's will. Now, Hebrews tells us this, that there's not any suffering that happens in our lives that has not first been sifted through God's hands. It means this, that he does allow it. Why does he allow it? Because he wants us to rely upon him. But there's a second reason for suffering. And that it, it reveals the value of God's grace. See, what happens is a lot of times we sit there and we think that grace is something that happened way back then, right? We think that grace, I mean, that's what brought us into the family of God. Grace, that's what forgave us of our sins. Yes, grace, grace, yes, I've already received grace. But understand, grace is not something that we receive and that is it. And it simply removes us from paying the judgment of our own sin. Grace is something that happens and we need at this very moment. All throughout our lives, God's grace being poured out. So why is suffering? Why does God allow that to come into our lives? Because he wants us to remember and not forget the great value of his grace. 
Paul, the guy who wrote this, remember we said he probably knew a little bit about suffering? My goodness, right? When we read his bio, we're like, I've never suffered. Paul wrote about a thorn in his flesh. Now, we don't know exactly what that was. Bible scholars, they, you know, they kind of talk about it. They debate. There are some that say, well, the thorn in Paul's flesh was an actual demon that followed him everywhere he went. And, you know, he was constantly causing turmoil and lying to him and all that. And then there are others that say, well, Paul's thorn in the flesh, it was the fact that he had poor eyesight. And they read something that a historian, Josephus, wrote about, you know, describing Paul. I even heard one preacher one time preaching who said that his thorn in the flesh was his mother-in-law. You say, well, I didn't think Paul was married. Well, we, we could debate that later, okay? Mother-in-law. It's his mother-in-law. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? So after the sermon, I'm like, you can never, ever say that again, man. Uh, that, that paints a picture. People are going to be upset and they're going to be angry. And so from that day forward, I've never mentioned that again. <laughs> Love my mother-in-law. She's a great woman. I'm thankful that the Bible doesn't tell us what that thorn in the flesh is. And here's why. Because I think, I think that we can identify with whatever suffering that we're dealing with as a thorn in the flesh. Now, stop and think about a thorn in the flesh. Yesterday, uh, um, I was... I was I was vacuuming out uh, the car, and uh, it's, it's Jennifer's car, and I reached in the back. Uh, she had some flip-flops on the floorboard, and I'm like, man, i got to get those up. I'm going to vacuum this out. And when I reached to grab her flip-flop, stuck into the bottom, I didn't even tell you this, stuck in the bottom was a sand spur. Caught me right here. And uh, I tell you, it's big enough to make a preacher cuss. <laughs> no, I didn't cuss. I didn't cuss. I didn't cuss. I mean, I... I, I I I thought about what some of y'all would have said. (laughs) And you know, you're like, oh, I got to pull it out. (laughs) And then I pulled it out and a little piece kind of broke off in there, you know, and you're like, oh, I got to get this out. It's going to fester. My finger's going to fall off. And all, you know, and you ever had that before? You ever gotten a splinter that's going underneath your fingernail? Oh, just makes me cringe thinking of it and you you can't get it out and you're laying there in bed at night and you're like oh man this splinter's under my nail and you wake up in the morning and you're like oh this splinter's still here and you go throughout the day and it's constantly there and you're just like I got to do something about this this is this is dictating every thought that I have that's kind of the thorn in the flesh It's that suffering that when you, when you try to go to sleep at night and you're laying there in the bed, your, your mind naturally just thinks about it, controls everything about it. You wake up in the morning and automatically, boom, there it is. Legitimately, when you're not concentrating, trying to think on something else, uh, you automatically gravitate toward it. And it's the thorn in the flesh. And the Apostle Paul talks about this over and over. I want you to listen to what Paul said about this thorn. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 8 and 9. He says, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But the Lord said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. Would you, so y'all hear that today? My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. That flies against everything we're taught. Oh, weakness. Man, I can't be weak. 
And yet Christ says, no, no, no. When you humble yourself and become weak, that's when I become strong. Therefore, Paul writes, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. I read that verse of Scripture and I think of suffering and pain and tribulation, uh, difficulties in my own life to where I'm just like, God, for real, okay, I know that you're working something here. I, I know your promises that I can, I can believe it. You've never failed me, but God, I'm having a hard time with this one. And that I respond, even the way that Paul responded, hey, Lord, take it away. Hey, dear Heavenly Father, change this. Hey, 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 God, this pain, this suffering, this thorn, the thing that I'm thinking about when I wake up, when I go to sleep, the thing that just dictates my entire day. Hey, God, go ahead, remove it from me. Mm. And sometimes we wonder, why, why doesn't he take it away? Well, according to what we've just read, it's because he wants us to understand and realize just how great his grace is. Just how powerful he is. That he is sufficient even in this suffering. And that way we don't even depend upon ourselves. You know, there, there's somebody else in the Bible that gave us a great, a perfect example of how to deal with suffering. That was Jesus himself. Jesus suffered rejection. Jesus suffered loneliness. Jesus suffered betrayal. Jesus suffered physical pain, physical, mental, emotional, relational, all those things. The kind of suffering that we experience as well. In fact, I want you to listen to what Paul writes. This is in Philippians 3.10. Philippians 3.10. If your neighbors will sleep, wake them up. Just going to see if anybody said wake up. Philippians 3.10. I want to know Christ. Now, I like that. I want to know Christ. Anybody out there want to know Christ? Yeah. And I want to know him every day. Every time I read the Bible, I'm like, hey, God, reveal more of yourself to me. Every time I pray, hey, Jesus, I want to know more and more and more. You know, I almost think of almost like Moses, right? When he was God, hey, God, show yourself to me. Hey, God, show yourself to me. And God said, what? I can't show myself to you. If I showed myself to you, you'd surely die. Nobody's ever seen me face to face and lived to tell about it. And he kept on and he kept on and he kept on. God's like, all right, I'll hide you in the rock. I'll pass by. You look at my back. And he got a sunburn that never left him. I like that. I like that. I want to know Christ. And the power of his resurrection. Now, I like that one too. What's the power of his resurrection? The Bible tells us that he's the first fruit of the resurrection. See, here's what that means. That means that uh, unless Jesus comes back first, one day I'll take my last breath, right? My soul will leave this body and they were either buried in the ground or cremated or, or whatever the case may be. The soul will leave the body. The Bible says that uh, the very absence from the body means the presence of the Lord. So I, I fully believe the moment that my, I take my final breath, the soul will leave the body. Jesus will be there to welcome me into paradise and then one day the very soul that has been separated from this temporary dwelling place will come back to reside in the body yet this time the body's going to be different some of you ladies you think Tim Tebow had a body you ought to see my glorified body Ooh, my goodness you kidding me 
the soul will take back residence in the body. This time the body's going to be different, right? Because there's not going to be any sin. There's not going to be any decay. So, so I like that. I like that. I want to know Christ. I'll take that. The power of his resurrection, I'll take that. And oh, why did he not just stop there? And the fellowship of sharing in his suffering. I don't like that one. I don't like that one at all. Becoming like him in his death. I really don't like that. See, there's a lot of folks there that think of the Christian life like ordering a cheeseburger, right? Hey, I'll take it fully with everything except no tomato and no mayonnaise, right? That's nasty. Who would eat a tomato and mayonnaise on their cheeseburger? But listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. And by the way, let me just say this. This is a side note. First service didn't get this. I got more time with you guys. I can tell y'all cool stuff. The Bible never says that it was an apple that tempted Adam and Eve. It just says it was fruit from a tree. You say, well, tomatoes grow on vines. Go with me to South America. I'll show you a tomato tree. I'm telling you very clearly as day, it makes perfect sense. The tomato is the devil's fruit. Now, I'll not stake my existence on it. I'm just saying. Makes sense. Hey, no, we sit there and say, hey, I'll take the cheeseburger, leave off the tomato and the mayonnaise. Like, hey, I'll take, I'll take the whole grace to forgive sins, right? I'll take the abundant life. I'll take uh, eternal life in heaven as my home. But no suffering for me. No pain for me. I don't want anything like that. I'll pass on those. No, when you accept Jesus, you get the full meal deal. And that's why God sometimes allows us to suffer. So that we'll say, you know what, when it's all stripped away, he's the only one that I've got that I can truly depend on. And and, and no matter how much I hurt, no matter how difficult this pain is, his grace is sufficient. And then he gives us some, or I want to share with you some reactions to suffering. I think we've already said this. We don't, have a, we don't have a decision when it comes to suffering. We all know that we're going to suffer. That's all a part of life. It's going to happen. The only choice that we have in the matter is how are we going to react to the suffering? How are we going to respond to pain and to difficulty and disappointment, all those things? I would say that there's at least three options that we all have, three reactions to suffering. The first one is resentment. Resentment is this. You get angry at God. You look up to the heavens and you shake your fist in God's face and you're like, God, why did you let this happen? God, I'm mad at you. I'm angry at you. I can't believe that this has just happened to me. And we see that in the attitude of Job's wife. Hey, just go ahead and curse God and die. And we all know people who were at one time exactly where we are today. They were seated in a church. They were in a worship service. And if you were to go to them today and ask them, hey, why aren't you in church anymore? Uh, They would refer back to some bad experience in their past. And they say, well, my marriage failed or uh, my business failed or my health failed. Or they'll tell you about when somebody did them dirty. Or they'll sit there and they'll talk about, you know, some important family member that they desperately prayed for God to heal, for God to 
safe for God to deliver and they died and so they're not going to be a part of church. And they'll sit there and they'll say, how could God let this happen? They're still angry at God. And they're living in a state of resentment and a state of spiritual rebellion. We, we, we all know folks like that. Maybe you've got a foot in that. The second way that you can respond or react is resignation. Here's what I mean by resignation. Life is nothing more than just a big old dirt sandwich. It stinks. It's horrible. How do you eat a dirt sandwich? Right? One bite at a time. Just over and over. Life is horrible. Life is bad. Everything is just, you know, uh, everything is difficult and there's no joy. And, uh, you know, they're almost apathetic. It's so bad and it stinks so horribly. I don't even care anymore. And uh, we all know folks who live life by Murphy's Law. You, you guys are familiar with Murphy's Law. Murphy's Law basically says this. Anything that can go wrong will go wrong. Anything you try to fix will take longer and cost more money. You always find a lost item in the very last place that you looked. And by the way, that makes a lot of sense. The chance of a piece of buttered bread falling with the buttered side down is directly proportionate to the cost of the carpet. And that is absolutely true. The other line is always going to move faster than the line that I'm in. I mean, I got in the line. There were two people in my line. And now I didn't get in that line because there were eight people in that line. And both of them in front of me are writing checks at Walmart. You have a broken appliance or a broken car. And you take it and you show it to the repairman. And the entire time it's there, it works perfectly correct only to drive into your driveway and you're like, there's that noise again. Some people live by the fact that this is just a tough life and they're just resigned to it. They say, well, you know, things stink, things are bad. Uh, whatever's going to happen is just going to happen. I don't even care anymore. If I could give up on life, I would give up on life. I just want to quit. I just want to quit. I heard about a group of guys one time that were playing golf. And there was a guy that came up behind them, and he wasn't a part of a, a group. He, he was playing by himself. So, you know, it's kind of it's proper etiquette. If you have room, you invite them to join your group and play with you. And so they had room, and they invited him to play. And when his turn came, he, he, he addressed the ball. He took his club. He swung it. Uh, he swung it. He swung it. You got you to understand, I'm working real hard to keep this West Tennessee out of me. I used to have a t-shirt growing up, just a swinging. You know what I'm talking about? Just a swinging. Yeah, some of you, oh, that was our first song on our date. He swung the club and missed the ball completely. He stepped back. He walked up, addressed the ball again, swung the club, missed the ball completely a second time. The guys are like, oh, my goodness, it's going to be a long day. Third time he goes up, he swings the club, misses the ball completely. Reaches down, picks up the ball, says, this golf course is way too hard. I quit. I'm going home. 
a lot of folks approach life that way. They, they just pick up and they walk off and they say, hey, life's just too difficult for me. I quit. I don't even care. I'm just going to give up. They're resigned to the fact that life is just horrible. So how do people react to suffering that we are all going to have? Some are still angry with God. They're bitter at God. They resent God that suffering was in their life. Some say, you know what? I don't even care anymore. But then, but then how should we respond? With rejoicing. Re- re- rejoicing. You say, well, pastor, I don't feel like rejoicing. I'm suffering. No, you, know, you don't rejoice because you feel like it. You rejoice because you're obedient to God. I mean, we, we all say, well, I don't feel like rejoicing. Some of you this morning when I stood up and said, hey, listen, I was looking around the room when I came in. A good majority of y'all were not singing. And when I'm like, come on now, let's all sing. We know why we're here. We know what God desires. Some of you in your heart naturally said, I don't feel like singing. So I want you to help me out for just a moment this morning. We're going to do an experiment. And uh, crowd participation is very important. Some of you say, well, I'll not participate. Oh, yes, you will. (laughs) Or we will shame you tremendously. All right, here's the experiment this morning. Uh, I've been looking at you guys for several minutes. And by the look on a lot of your faces, there's a lot of things going on. Rejoicing is not one. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to say, praise the Lord five times. Not yet. I know some of you are thinking, man, we're going to be done soon, and I'll get out of here, and I'll get to go do something I really enjoy, I really want to do. Are you kidding me? You profess to be a follower of Jesus Christ, and there's something that you enjoy greater than praising his name and studying God's word with fellow brothers and sisters in Christ? No, something's wrong with that. Something's wrong with that. So you're going to help me today. I'm going to do an experiment to show you you can praise the Lord even when you don't feel like it. So we're going to say praise the Lord five times. And every time we're going to get louder. And every time we're going to get more exuberant. And I know some of y'all, you come out of the Pentecostal background, you're like, I may just take off running. (laughs) It would make for a fun service. Uh, I I cannot, you know, I'm not held responsible to what security does when you do that. So so we just, if you could just kind of run right there at your seat, we'll be good. Five times you're going to say it with me, okay? Here we go. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Come on, praise the Lord. See, you may not have felt like doing it at first, but about that fifth time, I hope you got into it. Some of you are like, I just think it's goofy. No, 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 listen, listen, it's not about feeling it. See, I'll I'll share something with you. This is a great, great, uh, oh, golly, a great precept to know when it comes to worship. If you don't feel like praising the Lord, go ahead and praise him anyway. 
And keep praising him until you feel like it. And once you feel like it, go ahead and praise him. See, as a child of God, that's, 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 that's our calling. That's our calling. Not praise the Lord in good times. Oh my goodness. We'd never praise him. You wouldn't even have to worry about what song they were singing. Because we all go, we, we've determined. We go through suffering. We go through, we go through pain. It's not how you feel. Don't let your feelings tell you how to live. You tell your feelings how you're going to live. You obey God. You obey God. I think, well, let's look at the last one, the results of suffering. And this is where we get back into verses 3 and 4. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago, and I told you, hey, it's very important to remember that when you find yourself dealing with difficulty, pain, suffering, don't focus on the present pain. Understand that God's got a process. The devil's doing everything he can to keep y'all from hearing this today. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> don't focus on the present suffering, but instead, okay, God's doing something here. God's doing something here that even, even in spite of the pain and the difficulty of the life we live, he's accomplishing something. And he gives us the results in verses 3 and 4. Look at the first one. The first result of suffering, resilience. He uses the word perseverance. Resilience. Why'd you use the word resilience, Pastor? You, some of y'all can help me with that. Why'd I use that word? Starts with R. Thank you. Starts with R. Alliteration, baby. No better way. Anytime you go through a bad experience, you don't quit. You don't give up. You hang in there. And when you are when you persevere and you have resilience about you, then all of a sudden God will, God will, uh, he'll produce in you this commitment that I'm going to keep on going and I'm not going to give up. Uh, that's kind of a very valuable personality characteristic there. It is resilience. It's the commitment, right? I'm going to hang on. I mean, I don't feel like hanging on. I don't feel like trusting. I don't feel like rejoicing. I mean, I'm hurting, right? I've got questions that I don't have the answers to, but you know what? I'm not going to give up. I'm not throwing my faith into the garbage can because I'm dealing with pain and difficulty and suffering, I'll still trust him. I'll still praise him. I'll still believe he's in tomorrow before I get there. And I still believe he's going to work all this for my good and his glory, right? It's a commitment. It's a commitment. There are three, there are three keys to a successful marriage. You ready? Write this down. Three key, we got, we got some folks over here that are going to get married in a few years. Write them down. Here we go. Three words, three keys to a successful marriage. Commitment, commitment, commitment. <laughs> because, because when you get married, you know, and you have all that, oh, he's just, he's so great. Ain't nothing wrong with him. Oh, just so wonderful. And you have the romantic, uh, you know, just can do no wrong. And, you know, the bubbly over feelings and uh, um, uh, the ooey gooey feelings. And, you know, if you don't know what that is, I am not going to tell you. Just, you know, and then all of a sudden, can I tell you something? I know you newlyweds are going to find this hard to believe. The day will come to where you're like, I don't even know why I like him. <laughs> and, and ladies, you got to admit it. There are some of you that have said on numerous occasions... I don't like you. I love you. 
but I don't like you. But you commit. No, I've made a commitment to them. There may be days, there may be experiences to where, you know, I don't feel like loving them, but it's a choice that I'm going to make. That's the key. And so it's true when it comes to our relationship with God. It's easy for us to sit there and say, man, everything is great. I love God. I'm committed to him. But boy, I'm hurting now. Mm. No, I'm going to be resilient. I'm going to hang in there. I'm not going to quit because he's the same God when I'm in the valley of pain as he is when I'm on the mountaintop of pleasure. It results in resilience. Here's the second thing it results in, refinement. He uses the word character there. Can I just stop and say this? And I want to say it the right way because uh, sometimes I don't. But God, no, I always want to say it the right way. Sometimes I don't. God's more interested in your character than he is your comfort. God is more interested in refining you into the very image of Jesus Christ than he is in your happiness. And the reality of everything is, if I am truly committed to him, I am in love with him, I want him to get glory through my life, then you know what? Even in this, I'm going to glory in him. Doesn't mean that we're happy about suffering. I mean, you show me somebody that says, thank you, Jesus, for suffering. I'd say, man, you're not right. No, it doesn't mean that we do that. We say, thank you, Jesus, that even in this, you're going to work something. And it's going to be good for me. Because I'm committed to you. And I want to become more like Jesus. And I want you to get glory. And so it results, it results in refining us. Listen to what Peter writes, 1 Peter 4.13. 1 Peter 4.13, rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. So he's trying to teach you something. What is he trying to teach you? He's trying to teach you that every bad experience of your life can help develop character in you that will serve you later in your life. That when you go through pain and you go through tough times, you realize that God is trying to refine you to get you ready for the future. And here's the last result. It's reliance. And we're talking about reliance on God. He uses the word hope. Hope. Let, let me share one last scripture. 1 Peter 5.10 1 Peter 5.10 And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, oh, thank you for that phrase, we'll suffer but a little while. You say, well, pastor, I've been suffering for 70 years. I mean, not even a drop in the bucket when you consider eternity. Thankful that we'll suffer but a little while. Will himself mm, restore you. He's going to fix what sin messed up. Make you strong, firm, and steadfast. I mean, we, we've all been through times of suffering. Uh, if you endured, you stayed faithful to God. 
It's developing a character in you that will enable you to face whatever comes in the future without any fear. That, that, that there are other times of suffering, as long as we're in this flesh, that'll be out on the horizon. And because God has brought you through the past, because, because God has never failed us, and I know we say it in that song, never failed us yet. Can I just say, I, I guess to be doctrinally correct, how about we take the word yet out? Never failed us. He's never failed us. And you can have hope and confidence that he's going to carry you through whatever happens in your future. I had a guy in my church several years ago, not here, in Arkansas that had a small little apple orchard. And uh, he was all the time saying, hey, pastor, why don't you come and get some apples? Why don't you come and get some apples? So, so one afternoon, I'm like, hey, I'm going to come out to your house. I'm going to get some apples. And, um, and it wasn't a real big orchard, but it was, it was kind of a neat deal. He had a little farm there, and, um, and you, were walking, you would walk through, and some of those apple trees had so many apples on it. You, you've seen this before. Literally, it looks like the limbs are going to break. And, and they had taken some two-by-fours, and they had built a little brace in order to kind of give it some support and hold it up so it wouldn't break. And then there were other trees that had a lot, a lot of leaves on it, but just a few apples. And I said, well, what's the difference between these trees? He said, well, when we know we have a good tree and that tree's not producing fruit, he said, come over here, I'll show you. When that tree's not producing fruit, what we'll do is uh, we'll, we'll, we'll take out the axe and we'll take some other tools and uh, we'll just kind of bruise it up a little bit. The trunk and the big limbs... Uh, yeah, we'll put some gashes in it and, you know, some cuts and all that kind of stuff. And all of a sudden, the next season, it'll produce an unbelievable amount of fruit. He said, matter of fact, the ones that have the most apples on them right now, look, they're the most scarred. I, I'm, I'm, I'm looking around this room today at some people that have a lot of scars. Friend, listen to me. Jesus said this. Jesus said, basically, God delights in getting great glory from our lives. And what is the great glory? When we produce fruit when we produce fruit yeah I mean I wish I could tell you scars would go away I wish I could tell you you know there'll be a day where you're like you know what I'm cool with that I don't know that that's the truth but I can tell you this there's great hope today because God's on the throne Jesus Christ is still alive. He has a plan to use even the fallen world that we live in to bring glory to his name. I've heard folks saying, I've been guilty of this myself. Well, one day when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask Jesus, why did you let this happen? 
in all love and sincerity. No, you're not. You're going to get to heaven and you're going to say, wow, it's a different ball game on this side of glory. I don't care what happened for a little while. Because where I am now, this is what I've been created for. And then we'll fall down like dead people. (laughs) So overwhelmed by the very Shekinah glory of God. I'm just saying, trust Him today. Praise Him today. Understand There's not a single thing that's caught him by surprise. And he's going to work. Increase your dependence upon him. Remember the value of his daily grace. Would you bow your heads with me? Your heads bowed, your eyes closed. Can I ask you again, kind of the question that we kick this whole thing off with. Uh, are, are, are you ready to give up? Ready to throw in the towel? Um, we, we, or maybe, maybe this morning, man, this is just, this is so hard, so difficult. I, I mean, if I were to be honest, Pastor, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of resentful right now. I'm angry. Hey, it's natural. I'm telling you, it's natural. I can remember when I was... 21 years of age, junior in college, had the whole world ahead of me, thought that I was untouchable. And yet while I was driving home one night, I fell asleep at the wheel of my car and hit an old bridge embankment right there, not far from my parents' home in Tennessee. Broke every bone in my legs. Crushed my feet. Broke every bone in my face. They said, well, you know, he's not going to live. Well, he'll live, but he'll never walk. He'll walk, but he'll never run. He'll run, but... the hardest thing was when they said he'll never smile. I was angry at God. Laying there in that hospital bed, the med in Memphis, Tennessee, just so angry. God, I've been faithful to you. God, I love you. God, why would this not happen to someone else? Clear as day. The Spirit of God said, just Trust me. God used that to call me to ministry. God used that 
to lead me to a church up in northeast Arkansas that I never, ever would have been in that town. It's where I met my bride of 23 years. And God used that to lead me to get to be your pastor. And I stand today and I say, unashamedly, without question, the greatest thing that ever took place in my life outside of the day that I was saved was the day that I fell asleep behind the wheel of a car and I hit a bridge. I don't believe God caused it. No, I, I believe it happened because I was sleepy. I was, shouldn't have been out that late. No, I made some foolish decisions. But I'm telling you, and you can't argue with me on this, don't try. God took it. And God used it. And so now, I stand and say, great is your faithfulness. Today, would you say that? Please hear me. I'm not trying to minimize your pain. No, I can't identify with it. But I am telling you that you can trust him. Even in that, trust him. Maybe today there are some of you in this place that would say, you know, I don't know Jesus as Savior and Lord. I've never surrendered my life to him. I don't have a relationship with him. Can I say the same thing to you? Trust him. Trust him with your soul. Trust him with your life. Trust him to forgive of your sin. That right now you would turn and call upon his name. Would you do that? Hi, this is Pastor Stephen Kyle, and I want to thank you today for listening to our Unchangeable Truth podcast. Our prayer is that you have been challenged as well as encouraged as we study God's Word verse by verse. If you're ever in the Panama City area, we would love for you to come and worship with us in person at Highland Park Baptist Church, 2611 Highway 231 North in Panama City. If you want to learn more about our ministry and about our church, we would encourage you to go to our website, www.highland, and that's H-I-L-A-N-D, park, P-A-R-K, dot org. If you have any questions or any comments about today's podcast, feel free to shoot us an email at info at highlandpark.org. That's H-I-L-A-N-D, P-A-R-K, dot org. Our prayer is that you would continue to draw close to God. And if you don't know Christ as Lord and Savior, please reach out to us and let us share with you the greatest story that's ever been told. God bless.